0: Just a reminder that we're coming to the end of Fish and Paul Bunyan Country, our daily look at the fishing scene in Paul Bunyan Country. And soon it will be Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, where we open it up and not only look at the fishing scene, but look at the hunting scene and so many other outdoor things that are going on in Paul Bunyan Country. Here's the deal. We're already into September. And although we are still going to be talking primarily fishing for the next couple of weeks, there are a lot of hunting things starting to happen There are a lot of non-fishing things starting to happen in the outdoors that we absolutely have to cover. And today, we have a topic that we have never covered before, and we'll take a look at for the first time ever. Hope you enjoy it. It's coming up. Well, in Minnesota, we talk a lot about hunting seasons. We talk a lot about fishing seasons. One of the greatest Looney tunes of all time talked specifically about duck versus rabbit season. But we've never talked about wild rice season. But we're rights back dab in the middle of it. So it's about time that changes. And to do that, we have brought in Ann Geisen. She's a wildlife lake specialist. Ann, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me, Kevin. Really appreciate the chance
0: to uh, talk about wild rice. So, Ann, you uh, are with the DNR, and you are a wildlife lake specialist. Before we actually start talking wild rice, let's talk about what a wildlife lake specialist is. Um, There are several
1: of us in the state. We are part of the Shallow Lakes Program, which is part of the section of wildlife. And our focus is to work on lakes and shallow lakes mainly, shallow lakes and wild rice lakes, and improve them for wildlife and wildlife habitat. Um, My coworkers and I, we do a lot of lake surveys. We help write lake management plans. We will host public meetings to get input from the public about ideas for managing the lake. And when it comes to wild rice, we are managing some lakes for wild rice and doing a lot of wild rice monitoring. And come this time of year, we are answering a lot of questions from the public about wild rice harvesting.
0: All right. So define for us what is a shallow lake?
1: There's actually a definition in statute, a lake with a maximum depth of 15 feet or less and it's 50 acres in size or larger.
0: And we mentioned wild rice. What are some of the other things that are important about shallow lakes?
1: They support a lot of aquatic vegetation, which provides food for uh, waterfall and other wildlife. The plants support invertebrates, which are food also for fish, but also other wildlife. Um, Shallow lakes are just biologically different from deeper lakes, so they need to be managed differently.
0: I like getting into the nuts and bolts of this stuff, so I hope you'll, you'll let me go down Absolutely. this rabbit hole. <laughs> okay, so um, what are some of the major differences that you have to deal with when you're dealing with a shallow lake?
1: One of the major factors is that a shallow lake tends to exist in two states. There's what's called the clear water state where the water is clear, aquatic plants are abundant. Um, that there's a um, few bottom feeding fish, not a lot of carp. Um, if there are fish in the system, they're usually a lot of predator fish, like northern pike. A lake in the a shallow lake in the clear water state provides great wildlife habitat. The other state is what's called the turbid water state. Water is cloudy. If you were to put a Secchi disc down to measure clarity, it might only be a few feet. On The worst cases I've seen, it's only been a quarter of a foot. Mm. Um, There are very few, if any, plants. Because there aren't many plants, the lake is... um, prone to um, wind effects, the wind can really stir up the bottom because there aren't plants to hold it in place. And stirring up the bottom um, adds to the turbidity problem, adds to the cloudy water. Um, Wave action is a big factor because there aren't plants to um, slow down the waves. The waves will stir up the sediment. If there are fish in the lake, it's a lot of... um, bottom feeding fish and they um a lot of carp usually and they will also stir up the bottom and just continue to add to the problem because there's so few plants it doesn't um create it's not good wildlife habitat you're not really likely to find ducks there because there are almost no plants there's um very few invertebrates and shallow lakes um have more nutrients than deeper lakes, so the nutrients are either going to grow plants or algae, and if you don't have any plants, the lake is tend, going to tend to be um, have a lot of algae. Okay. But you find it in, you, with shallow lakes, you tend to find it either in the clear state or the turbid state. You rarely find a lake in between. It tends to switch from one state to the other. And once in that state, it will tend to stay that way unless there is some major event that causes it to flip. So if a shallow lake is in the turbid state, it usually requires some kind of management action to get it to flip to the clear water state.
0: Really interesting stuff. I know I deal with uh, DNR Fisheries people quite a bit because we do a lot of fishing We talk a lot about lakes that have winter kill. They tend to be shallow lakes. Do you get involved in that aspect of it?
1: Yes. Um, For some shallow lakes we manage, we are trying to induce winter kill. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes the fish population is out of whack, or the fish population, if it's bottom-feeding fish like carp, it's – contributing to put the lake in a turbid state so sometimes to get the lake to flip from turbid to clear um, we try to induce winter kill
0: the main reason we we wanted to talk today was wild rice and obviously wild rice must grow primarily in the shallow lakes
1: primarily but not always um leech lake is a good example it's a deep lake or you know uh, it's obviously greater than 15 feet maximum depth so you wouldn't call it a shallow lake but leech lake has some great bays of wild rice so there are some there are many shallow many deeper lakes that have wild rice but a lot of the really great wild rice lakes that are targeted by harvesters are shallow lakes
0: what is it about a shallow lake that seems to be positive for wild rice
1: Primarily the depth. Wild rice is really greatly influenced by water levels. Wild rice um, grows well in depths from one and a half to four feet. So if you have a shallow lake where the maximum depth is three feet, you are going to have wild rice across the entire basin. If the other growing conditions are
0: right. Wild rice, obviously, it's wild, and it's rice. And if you've lived in Minnesota for more than five months, you've had something with wild rice in it, most certainly. Um, and it's, you know, very, very popular, very, very delicious. I'm assuming it's just a, it's a native plant to our state, correct?
1: Yes, it is native to Minnesota. It used to be more widespread in the U.S., at the time when indians you know uh you know were the primary inhabitants of minnesota wild rice uh could be found from minnesota all the way out east to massachusetts um, and this is the northern wild rice zizania palustris it has disappeared from a lot of its range um, michigan used to have a lot of wild rice now they have uh it's kind of rare, and they're really working hard to restore it. Uh, Wisconsin has some areas of harvestable wild rice in the northern part of the state. But Minnesota has got more natural wild rice than any other state in the country. And considering how it's declined from its range, Minnesota's kind of the last stronghold of this plant. So those of us in Minnesota who work on wild rice, manage wild rice, and this is uh, DNR folks as well as tribal managers. Um, We consider it one of our responsibilities to maintain this plant, um, as extensive as it is in Minnesota. And I've talked to folks in Wisconsin. Um, Some folks from Wisconsin come to Minnesota to harvest. Others have questions about management, but they really envy. What we have in Minnesota, I've heard that again and
0: again. And Geison is my guest. We're talking wild rice. We are going to talk everything there is to know about wild rice. So we are just getting started. This is fishing slash wild rice in Paul Bunyan Country, presented by Northland Fishing Tackle. Welcome back to Fish in Paul Bunyan Country, presented by Northland Fishing Tackle. Although we are delving more into Paul Bunyan Country outdoors today, we're talking wild rice season. It's underway. This is the time to be out there doing it. And if you've never heard anything about wild rice before, you're going to be educated because we are getting all of the details from Ann Geisen, a wildlife Lake specialist with the Minnesota DNR. How much do you want to get into varieties of rice in the world? I, I just I'm kinda curious as to uh the differences between rice growing in, in Minnesota and you know rice that we get from other parts of the world. Is it is there a big difference?
1: Oh, I I don't know a lot, but what I can tell you is um wild rice in Minnesota is actually not rice, um, or not in the same family as rice that oh. you might get from Thailand. It's actually an aquatic grass. And in the US we have there's two Species of wild rice in Minnesota, northern wild rice and southern wild rice. Southerns, it's more rare in Minnesota. It's been found down in southeast along the Mississippi River. Most of what we have in Minnesota is northern wild rice. There's also another kind of wild rice that grows in Texas. So in the U.S., I think there are only three or four species of what is actually the aquatic grass wild rice the other wild rice that comes from other countries or the white rice you buy in the store um that's actually in a different family of plants
0: so we call it wild rice because it just seems like rice
1: yes (laughs) i think the first the first folks who saw it yeah thought it you know looked similar to the rice you know other white rice brown rice or um The fact that it was growing in a wet place must have meant it was rice. And then some botanist really looked at it and said, well, actually, it's not that group of plants that we call rice. It's actually an aquatic grass.
0: Now let's get to the the aspect of of people who go out and and get wild rice. I mean, I can go buy a fishing license and I can get fish. I can buy a deer license. I can go shoot a deer. Is it a license I buy if I want to go get wild rice?
1: Yes. Yes, it is. There are two kinds of licenses for residents. There's an all-season license for $25, and there's a daily license for $15. Residents uh, under the age of 18 do not need a license if they are going out with someone else who has a license. Minnesota also offers a non-resident license. This has not always been the case but it seems to be kind of popular. We don't sell a lot of these licenses every year, but people from out of state want to try it. They want the experience. They've heard about harvesting wild rice, and I think Minnesota's one of the few places, maybe the only place where you can buy a non-resident license and come and do it. Uh, Wisconsin does not sell non-resident licenses. So you have to be a resident there to go harvest in Wisconsin. So folks who want to try it once, who don't live where wild rice grows, they seem to like the opportunity to come to Minnesota and try it.
0: And, again, I'm, I'm totally green on this, so I'm just asking all probably a lot of people who know are rolling their eyes at some of these questions, but is there a specific time frame in which we must harvest, or is it uh, just once it gets ripe we can go?
1: There are... Uh, beginning and ending dates, um, legal start and end dates, it's, uh, the season opens on August 15th every year. The season closes on September 30th. But given those beginning and end dates, you can only harvest ripe rice. The rice is not ripe that entire length of time. Rice starts getting ripe in the northern part of the state and the ripening works its way south. So the end of August, you could start finding ripe rice up in far northern Minnesota. Around the Aiken-Brainerd area, it's usually the last week of August through Labor Day where you can find ripe rice around here. As the seeds ripen and they fall into the lake, the rice will be gone if it's not harvested. So even if you're out on September 29th, even though that would be legal, you're not likely to find ripe rice anywhere. It is probably already fallen by then.
0: How do we know where wild rice is? Is there maps and information out there that we can check on? Or is it just something you need to know?
1: DNR Wild Rice webpage, we have a list of wild rice waters. These are a list of all the waters that we have any documentation have, currently have wild rice, or maybe they used to have wild rice. Maybe we have records from the 1960s and the rice disappeared. But that list is a good starting place. One of the columns in the list is acres of wild rice. For some of those waters, the column is empty. But for those waters where there's a number, that water probably has wild rice on a regular basis where maybe you want to go harvest it. Another way is to um, call your local wildlife office. They'll tell you which lakes in their work area consistently have rice, and they may also be able to tell you how the rice is looking for that year. Sometimes um, there's a storm event and the lake is washed out, the rice is destroyed, they can tell you that. Yeah, don't spend you know, don't waste time looking at Lake X this year. We had a bad rain event and there's no rice. Um, there's also a harvester survey that the DNR did in two thousand seven that's posted on the website. One of the components of the harvester survey was asking harvesters where they went to rice. The top 100, I think, ricing lakes are listed in that report.
0: About how many people actually do go out racing and get licenses every year?
1: The average license sales for the last, um, from 2010 to 2019, has been about 1,600 a year.
0: Okay, so a little less than go fishing.
1: Yes. It's a small group
0: <laughs> it is a small group, so it's probably nothing you have to worry too much about, but is there any limit the upper limit of a number of licenses you could sell just to make sure you don't over harvest, or is that not a concern
1: no that's that's not a concern at this point in do I call it the heyday of ricing, um the fifties and sixties? The annual licenses sold every year were in the ten thousands, ten to twelve thousand, so we really declined from that if we got back up to where we were selling ten to 12,000 licenses a year. I think that would be sustainable because we sustained it before. So no, there's really no concerns about an upper limit of licenses.
0: So uh, bear with me again uh, as the greenhorn. If- Absolutely.
1: <laughs> Ask away, Kevin.
0: <laughs> if I were to say, I want to try this, what do I need and how do I do it? Sure. Um, well, some of
1: the Let's talk about equipment first. Um, Some of the basic equipment you're going to want is a canoe, and the canoe needs to be a certain size, no longer than 18 feet, no wider than 36 inches. You're going to want a push pole. For listeners who maybe aren't familiar with it, it's a long pole, maybe 14 to 20 feet in length, and it has on the end two protrusions that are called a duck bill. It'll fold together and look like the bill of a duck, and it also folds out to push on the bottom of the lake. On a thick wild rice lake, a push pole is the only way you're going to be able to maneuver your canoe through it. Um, The push pole, the forks, can have to be 12 inches long or less. They can't be any longer. You're also going to want flail Um, These are the sticks that you're going to use to knock the rice into your canoe. And there's size restrictions on the flails. Um, 30 inches long or less, one pound each or less. The flails also need to be round and smooth. A lot of these size restrictions are to prevent damage to the rice and the rice stock. Aside from those things, you're going to want... bags to put your rice in, mesh bags work well, and you can usually find them at your local um, feed store. You're also going to want a set of paddles. If you lose your push pole in the water, the paddle can help you get back to where you can grab your push Um uh, Paddles are just more of an emergency thing, but you want to have them along just in case. You're going to want a PFD for... Uh, Each person in the boat, which is usually two people, want to meet the legal requirements. You're going to want to have your wild rice harvesting license, of course, if you need to have a
0: license. This is Fish in Paul Bunyan Country, slash Paul Bunyan Country, outdoor, slash wild rice in Paul Bunyan Country. And Gyson of the DNR is joining me today to discuss... Wild rice, we're in the midst of the wild rice season. It's a topic we've never discussed before, and if you've never done it before, there's a lot of stuff to know, a lot of equipment you need, and there's a certain dress code. Not a formal dress code, but for your own sake, a dress code you need to follow.
1: As far as clothing, some things to think about. I highly recommend long sleeves. On a really nice 70-degree day like we've had lately, you might be tempted to wear short sleeves, but... um Rice kernels have a long protrusion on the end. It's called an awn. The awn can be kind of itchy on your arms. Long sleeves, again, I highly recommend. You might get a little bit wet in the canoe, and you don't want to have your clothes soaked the whole day because they don't dry out fast. Tightly woven clothing is good. Mesh clothing, not so much. The rice awns will stick everywhere. And the first year I went out, I wore this quick drying polyester shirt that wasn't a very tight weave. By the time we were done, I had rice grains sticking in the back of my shirt. I looked like a porcupine. (laughs) So if you don't want the porcupine look, um, tightly woven clothing, again, is really good. A hat for sun protection. Also another must that some people don't think about, sunglasses or safety glasses. Last thing you want is a rice on in your eye. So eye protection is a must. Gloves are also good to wear. Again, the um, the rice can be kind of itchy. And if you're the push-poller and you're working the pole all day, um, I like gloves to keep from getting blisters or calluses. And then another, what I consider a must, is um, you're going to want to seal your pant legs. Um, When you're out there in the rice bed, you're going to be surprised at all the rice worms and the rice spiders. You don't want them down your socks and up (laughs) your pant legs. You're going to want to seal off your legs. Some people wear knee boots, and then they tape, use duct tape to tape the knee boots, the top of the knee boots, to their pants. Sometimes I've uh, pulled out my snow gaiters. I put them around my boot, my pant leg, and that's done a good job. Uh, this year I tried a tip that I got from someone else, which was um, to use the self-adhesive bandages. Like you might wrap your arm or your elbow um you, you know, you'd find it in the first aid section or someone else called it vet tape. It sticks to itself so I could wrap it around my pant legs, but it was easy to peel off with no gummy mess like duct tape. And that did a great job, too, of uh, sealing up my pant legs and keeping the uh, spiders and worms out. So that's kind of the basic rundown of equipment.
0: Forgive me if we, if you mentioned this earlier. I don't recall it, though. Um, obviously, we have a lot of wild rice companies that uh, that are selling wild rice commercially. Is there a commercial license for wild ricing?
1: Great question. Yes. Um, there is a buyer's license. If you are intending to buy wild rice and sell it to other people, or you want to buy it and it's not for your own use and you are planning to sell it to other people, You need to have a buyer's license. And you have to fill out an application, and there is one person down in the St. Paul office who handles it. It's not a kind of license that you can buy at the same ELS agent where you buy your fishing or hunting license.
0: What about the people who harvest it and want to then sell it to the wild rice producer or middleman?
1: If you are only selling it once, You do not need a buyer's license. So, yes, you buy, you get 500 pounds of rice and you want to, you get it processed and then you want to take it to the food co-op or you want to, uh, you know, sell it to friends who are buying it from you. You do not need a license.
0: Well, I think that... Covers everything I had on my plate as far as wild rice goes. You know, you had talked a little bit earlier about more people had done it in the past, and um, can't remember if we talked about acreage being less or more than it was in the past. Have we? Did we discuss that at all?
1: We have not discussed that, and it's something that's kind of hard to track. Wild rice is an annual plant, so every plant you see sprouted from a seed that was deposited last year. And the acres can change every year based on growing conditions. The acres of wild rice we have this year may are probably not the same. As, well, it's not the same as the um, acres of wild rice last year. Last year was a poor growing year in a lot of parts of the state. So it's not surprising that there was less, fewer acres of wild rice last year than there are this year, considering that this has been a good year. But in terms of a long-term trend, we don't know. There's 2,200 lakes and rivers in Minnesota where we have documented rice. We know that it has disappeared from some waters, and we're trying to bring it back. But on other waters, we also know the rice is doing better now than it has historically. We just don't have enough data to know what the long-term trend is. NASA started doing some work using satellite imagery to try to detect wild rice stands. Some staff in the DNR are working on a project where they're hoping they can refine that methodology so satellite imagery can be used to determine acres of wild rice statewide on an annual basis. And then that will give us acres every year, and then we can track it better.
0: So, Anne, uh, before we wrap it up, let's find out a little bit about you. How long have you been in this program, and the Wildlife Lake Specialist Program with the DNR?
1: It has been 19 years this July.
0: What uh, What brought you into this kind of work?
1: I got a wildlife management degree when I was in college. I knew I wanted to work on wildlife, and... I had a minor, got a minor in waters. I knew I was really interested in the aquatic habitat, aquatic wildlife, but it's also kind of a new field. When I was in college and taking limnology, they didn't even cover shallow lakes as a topic. But um, I was working in Wisconsin. I saw the job announcement for Minnesota and thought, wow, this is right up my alley. I get to work on wildlife habitat, aquatic wildlife habitat. And Minnesota's got an incredible number of shallow lakes, about 4,000 in the state, so really great shallow lake resource. Got the job, moved to Minnesota, and it was doing the job that I learned about wild rice. I was working in Wisconsin, but yeah, Wisconsin doesn't have a lot of wild rice, or not as much as they used to, and certainly not the harvest pressure. And learning about shallow lakes in Minnesota, I had to learn about wild rice and no, really came to love it.
0: Where are you from originally, Ann?
1: I grew up in northern Illinois, so I am a transplant.
0: Well, you know, it's, it is interesting to me. I talked to a lot of people in the DNR over the years or people who own resorts or end up being guides or any number of things that hail from other parts of the nation. And because of their love of the outdoors, this is just kind of a natural place for them to go. A lot of them grew up vacationing in this area. But, yeah, if you want to work in the outdoors, it seems like Minnesota's a, a pretty good spot to do it.
1: You're right. I'm not the first person who's come from out of state, fell in love with Minnesota,
0: and decided this is a great place to be. And is there anything else you want to make sure we know before we wrap it up?
1: Yeah, just a couple things I wanted to add. Um, if you're a boater out at this time of year and it's beautiful weather to be out boating, <laughs> And you're coming up on a wild rice bed, uh, if you're not wild rice harvesting, just stay out of the bed. Motorboats can knock over the stalks, knock the ripe seeds into the water, and keep the seeds that aren't ripe from getting ripe. So respect the rice bed and just stay out of it. And another thing I like to share with people, because a lot of folks don't seem to know, is that all the money from the wild rice license sales goes into a dedicated account. And that money is only spent on wild rice management. So all the licensed dollars are going back to the resource.
0: Ann Geisen is a wildlife lake specialist. We have spent the, well, we spent over a half hour talking about wild rice. Found it to be a great subject. I really enjoyed it, Ann, and I really appreciate you taking time to guide me through it. Ann, thank you so much for your time today.
1: You're so welcome Kev. Appreciate the interest.
0: Tomorrow we're back to fish with Bro Bro's doll. Thursday it's ducks and lake of the weekday and Friday well I'm not sure yet, but I'm sure it's going to be brilliant. I'm Kev Jackson. Thanks for joining fish me. Sale!